Well, I feel, like, I feel like I need to say something really grandiose and big in my introduction for the sermon here today, because uh, today is the last Sunday in our Sermon on the Mount series. Congratulations, all of you. You made it through. You did it. Good job. We've been in this series since Easter. Uh, we started, yeah, we've been through three seasons of like <laughs> spring and then summer and now fall. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's been a while. But listen, this section of Jesus' teaching is so important for followers of Jesus to know and to understand. Right? Like, all, all the Bible is important, right? You won't catch me saying otherwise. <laughs> okay, but, and we should love and value all of the Bible, but if we're really going to dig into something, the Sermon on the Mount will have more practical impact on your faith walk than just about any other passage of scripture, right? I've got favorite passages of scripture that lie outside of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but this lays so much of his kingdom out that I would say this is one of the most important sections of the Bible to know. It's important because, as we've been saying, it acts as Jesus' manifesto, his outline of what life in his kingdom is supposed to look like. One last summary here to make sure we're all on the same page. Um, A week before Jesus was arrested, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. And in the prophecy that talks about that event, uh, the reason that he chooses a donkey is to show the kind of king, the kind of Messiah he is, and the kind of kingdom he is going to bring, one of righteousness, victory, and lowliness. Uh, Our victory is assured, but worldly status, power, uh, or standing is not. We have a donkey messiah who points the way of the donkey kingdom. And the Sermon on the Mount is where we hear directly from Jesus about life in his kingdom, what's important, what matters, how we're supposed to live in this kingdom, his manifesto. And today we are in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 24 through 27. That's on page 460 if you're using the Bibles there in the rows next to you. A couple weeks ago I said it was on page 640. And I was told that our Bibles don't go up to 640. Uh, So yeah, a little uh, dyslexia going on there. So 460 in the church Bibles if you're using those. Or you can use your phone or your own Bible if you brought that. So starting in verse 24. Therefore... Everyone who hears these words of mine. Okay, let's pause. Which words? All the words of the last six months. (laughs) Now, Jesus, he didn't take six months to do this. Now, that's that's assuming a lot of scholars, I didn't have this planned, but um, a lot of scholars, uh, this Sermon on the Mount teaching all stuck together in in three chapters in Matthew could have all happened at once, could also be just kind of a, you know, kind of glomming together of all of his teachings that he had done throughout his ministry. Um, We're not 100% sure either way, but either is possible and plausible. Um, You know, we know that he did teach for extended periods of time to large crowds. We also know that he spoke in bits and pieces to in more intimate settings and stuff. And we see that these, a lot of these teachings will see echoed in different other parts of his ministry as he's talking to people. So, so, um, So he could have done all of this that we took six months to do in an afternoon. (laughs) A little little quicker, a little more bang for the buck there, I guess. But but yeah, there's so much in here, so much packed in. Everyone who hears these words of mine, there's a lot of words, some really good stuff. So that's how he starts off. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine 
and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Verse 28, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. So before we get to our our main point for today, I just want to talk briefly about these last couple of verses here. Uh, What was it that made Jesus' teaching so different? Right? What made it sound as if he was teaching with authority and not as their teachers of the law? You know, like what set it apart? Well, if you look at his teachings on the whole, they would have been seen as revolutionary to just about about everyone who would have heard it, Jews and and non-Jews alike. To the Jews, it would have been revolutionary because it took the law that they had been hearing taught by the Pharisees, and it it wasn't subverted, but it was clarified. It It was explained. Jesus showed the heart behind it and the kind of person that it should lead to. Jesus made the law not about rules and regulations, but about the heart and loving people sincerely. For the Pharisees, it was based on fear of breaking the rules. For Jesus, it was about loving God and loving people, and our obedience came from a grateful heart, not from a fearful one. So this was totally different from what the Jews were used to hearing. And then to the non-Jews, it would have been revolutionary because it was so counter to the culture that existed in the ancient Near East at the time. This talk of meekness and the whole blessed be section at the beginning, turning the other cheek, obedience to God, not coming from a fear of divine retaliation, but from a place of loving response to his loving initiative. The idea that God uh, was, as, was a relational father, right? the ways that we are to treat other people, all this would have been completely different from the world they were living in at the time and their conceptions of their gods at the time. As one commentary of mine put it, the people recognized a difference between Jesus' teaching and that of the scribes, who were the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. He spoke with authority. Their words were powerless. His was a voice, theirs was an echo. I thought that was really a great way to think about it. So that's a little bit about those last couple of of, of verses there. But let's go back to the beginning of our passage for today. Jesus is talking about the wisdom of the wise and the foolishness of the fool here to close out his teaching. Uh, And this is appropriate because what does he say makes someone wise? Putting his words into practice, right? doing something with this teaching. You can be amazed all you want at Jesus' teachings, right? You can marvel at his authority, at his counterculturalism, but if you don't put it into practice, you're the fool that Jesus is talking about here. And notice here that both the wise and the foolish 
heard the teachings of Jesus. They both heard it. Right? Both of them hear the words here. But the wise are the ones who put them into practice. So Jesus kind of wraps up this whole teaching by saying, look, hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Glad you could come. Thanks for, thanks for being here. But if you don't let these words change your life, then you just wasted your afternoon. See, there's a difference between knowing something and doing something with what you know. Right? Just knowing something actually can sometimes deceive you into thinking you've done something. Right? Knowledge can be tricky that way. Right? In 12-step-based in recovery programs, uh, most people drop out just before step four. Uh, if you're familiar, if you're unfamiliar, step four is where you get to writing your personal moral inventory, which is just where you get really honest um, up and start writing about all the stuff that you've done, the things that have been done to you, how it affected you, uh, that kind of stuff. It's a hard step. It takes months and it requires you to get completely honest with yourself and eventually your sponsor. Uh, but it's so, it's such important work in recovery. But because of the difficulty of this step, many people drop out right before it. And I've had people tell me in recovery after completing the first three steps, it's like, man, I'm so glad I was here. I've learned so much about myself. I've seen things about myself I didn't know before, but look, I just can't continue. You know, I've got my, 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 my calendar is filling up. It's getting crazy. Things are busy, blah, blah, blah. And I think as long as I stick close to God, I'll be all right. So thanks. We'll see you later. And they might be totally genuine in that, right? I mean, I'm not saying that people don't have busy schedules. I, I get that. But in my mind, I'm always just like, all right, I'll see you in a year. Right? Because just the knowledge of things doesn't actually lead to change. Their lives don't change, and in the end, up, they, they end up right where they started. It's the practicing, the doing of the work in recovery that leads to life change. And in our faith, we can come, we can attend every single Sunday... We can listen to all these words of Jesus, but if we don't do anything with them, if we don't allow them to change us, we're running the risk of building our lives on sand that gets washed away at the first sign of a storm. And not even a storm, just the, the waves, the ebb and flow of life. I just was at a retreat. Andrew and I were just at a retreat this past weekend uh, for the Brethren in Christ, uh, spouse and, uh, pastors and their spouses. And it was a wonderful time uh, meeting with other Brethren in Christ pastors and their families. And it was, it was just wonderful. It was held at Harvey Cedars in uh, Long Beach Island. I had never been before. Um, but there's like beach, lots of beach on Long Beach Island. It's appropriately named. Um, and so we went out during some of our free time and you stand on the, on the sand, the wet sand, and, and the, the waves are like really crashing like 40 feet out. Just, you know, it's really loud and thundering. And they come up, when they get up to you, they're not violent anymore. But when they come out, they suck the sand right from out of your, under your feet. You're just like, no matter how sturdy you are there, when the waves go back out, you're just like, you know, it just takes the sand right out. It's not even like a storm of life. It's just the ebbs and flows of life as it comes. Sand is not a firm foundation. Or to mix metaphors a little bit. 
You're like someone who's come to realize that they need to exercise, so they buy some weights, even build a little home gym. You find some cute workout outfits, right? You get a pumped up playlist on Spotify. You watch some YouTube fitness influencers, but then you don't work out. Right? You might know all that you need to get healthy, but you don't actually do it. It's not going to help you. The outfits, maybe. But most of it is not going to help you. The wise not only hear the words of Jesus, but put them into practice. So with all of that said, I would like to take today and do a little review of what we covered. A review of the words Jesus gave us through his manifesto. If you get the Sunday on Mondays that come every, every week uh, in your emails, you can find a lot of the main points in there. And each one of them has a question or two that help you to think through and process how to actually practice what we've been learning. So go back in your emails, check those out if you haven't deleted them already. Uh, in their email, just kind of search, you know, Sunday on Monday in your emails and they'll like all pop up. So what did we learn? Six months in ten minutes. Here we go. In the Beatitudes, the Blessed Bees, we learned that the words of the Blessed Bees section have edges that will cut us if we live against them. We claim to be kingdom people. If we're not going to be liars, then we'd better pursue the things of this kingdom. And Jesus gives us some of those things in this section. Being humble and gentle, embracing grief full of self-control, straining for righteousness and justice, being merciful to other fellow fallen image bearers, being peacemakers in a society of peace disruptors, and being persecuted and insulted because of our dedication to Jesus. We can't just proclaim the kingdom, we must live the kingdom. If we got nothing else from the Sermon on the Mount, this would change the world. We also need to be different like Jesus. Not just different because Jesus was different, but different in a like manner as Jesus, or in the same ways that Jesus was different. And don't necessarily look for the things that you shouldn't do, the ways that you should restrict your life, but get proactive. Look for ways that you can add life to any situation and relationship, because that's what Jesus did. He added life everywhere he went. How can you be different like Jesus? Then we learned about the Old Testament law and saw that the point of the law wasn't the law itself. It was God. Right? It was designed to point us to God. And we saw that we couldn't live according to the law perfectly anyway. Or even close to it. And in this realization, we would die in our despair. If not for the fact that Jesus lived our perfect obedience for us. Amen. He lived our perfect obedience. That is such a huge part of the gospel for us, the good news. Perfection is still the requirement for God. It's still the standard. But because of Jesus living our perfect obedience for us and then giving it to us as a gift... We can live in grace, not in the guilt and condemnation of feeling like we have to be perfect all the time. Then we saw that right relationships start in the heart. 
our relationships with our relationship with God shouldn't be dictated by rule keeping. It should be dictated by love. When we live in a paradigm of compliance, of obligated obedience, of rule keeping, our mentality is, what do I have to do? Right? But when we live in a paradigm of loving relationship, our mentality is, what do I get to do? So having right relationships with God and with others and having a right attitude of obedience to God starts in a loving posture of the heart. Then Jesus told us uh, how his kingdom is one that turns the cheek, that gives more than what is asked for, that loves an enemy. And my goodness, that is not a practical kind of kingdom. <laughs> but we're not looking for practicality. We're not looking for what is most expedient for gaining power or influence. Our kingdom is not of this world. Donkey Kingdom citizens should be people of limitless love, we said. No one is excluded, not even those who we perceive to be acting against our best interests or those who are actively against us. We do not have the option to not love. Our love should know no bounds or limits. We are to be people of limitless love. We also learn that as citizens of God's donkey kingdom, our acts for God spring from our love for God. Not from a desire to please someone else. Right? Not from a desire to, to, to be seen by or gain praise uh, from anyone else. And not out of obligated obedience. We serve God because we love God. Just as we might serve a loved one. Because, not because of what we can gain from them, but simply because we love them. Then Jesus taught us how to pray. And in that simple prayer, we see that God is a perfect father for an imperfect world. And as close and as intimate as he is, he is also worthy of fear and worthy of worship. He is at the same time both transcendent and other and close and intimate. We saw that little choices build huge kingdoms, right? Meaning that most often, uh, big changes, big decisions come not from the result of some major turning point, although that sometimes happens, but because of the many small decisions we make every day about our time and our efforts. Little choices build huge kingdoms. We also saw in the template prayer uh, that the ways that Jesus provides for us today can help us to grow in our trust of him tomorrow. And we said that today's bread brings tomorrow's trust. Also, to be human is to need forgiveness. So don't be shocked when you mess up and others need to forgive you. It's going to happen. It sucks, but it's going to happen. We also need to remember that we need to be a forgiving people. And that can be hard when the offenses against us are grievous. But a forgiving heart is a forgiven heart. We are better able to forgive when we remember that we have been forgiven of everything by God. And finally, in the template prayer, we saw that holiness grows where pride has died. And we are most satisfied when we are set aside so that God is glorified. Meaning, our pride can get in the way of our growth in Christ. 
But when we set ourselves aside, we end up finding our ultimate fulfillment in Christ. So that was the Lord's Prayer. Then Jesus' teachings got us to ask the question, what is the treasure in your chest? And in that sermon, I talked about Jack Sparrow a few times. That's not important for you to remember. Um, <laughs> just wanted to talk about Jack Sparrow again. Uh, and the reason it's important to know this, uh, to know what the treasure in our chest is, is because where our treasure is, is where our hearts will be also. So where is your treasure? And more appropriately, who is your treasure in your chest? Next, we realize that we take on the flavor of whatever we're soaking in, right? So what is that? The news, the anxiety of other people, or Jesus himself. What brine are we soaking in? We said we want to be peace pickles, not anxiety pickles. <laughs> and then we saw that we need to be a judging people, not in the condemning sense, right? But in the discernment sense, we should judge ourselves or discern ourselves before judging others or discerning others. I believe our Sunday on Monday for that week put it a few different ways. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Discern yourself before you burn yourself. <laughs> judge yourself before you fudge yourself. The kids are downstairs, right? <laughs> <laughs> Then we saw that when it comes to the imagery of God as our Father, we need to rewind, reorient, and reimagine. Right? Rewind our previous conceptions of fathers and start fresh. Reorient ourselves to a Jesus focus and then reimagine what a true Father, our Heavenly Father, is like and what kind of relationship we can have with Him. Then we got the encouraging message that the way of Jesus, the way of life, is hard. Yay! <laughs> but while the way is hard, it is also totally worth it. There is joy even on the difficult path. And we need to remember that the path itself is not the destination. We said, don't let the difficulties of the path distract you from the destination of the path. The path of Jesus, while harder than the alternatives, is worth it because it is the way of life. And finally, we saw that if we want to know a Jesus tree, we need to look for the Jesus fruit. Right? This follows along with the idea of being discerning and wise in our judgments. Right? Who should we follow or emulate? Right? What teachers are teaching us right things? And what about us? What fruit are we seeing naturally grow from us? What are the naturally occurring fruits? Do any changes need to be made there? And focusing on Jesus should be our priority. So there's nothing wrong with focusing on the fruits, but we need to focus on Jesus growing as a healthy tree because then the fruit will take care of itself. This is the donkey kingdom. This is the way of our donkey Messiah. If you want to spend time getting to know what Jesus is all about, read about him. 
Read the Gospels. Soak in the brine of the Sermon on the Mount. To wrap it all up today, we could say that we really need to be people who are like Jesus. And that happens as we practice proximity with him. We become, we become like who we hang around with, right? And listen, if we only spend time with Jesus for an hour a week on Sundays, we're just not going to grow to become much like him. And if we're not growing to be like him, we can't impact or influence the world in ways that are consistent with him. And then we'll wonder why being a Christian doesn't seem to make any difference in our lives or in the lives of others. We'll take on the flavor of whoever we're hanging with. We need to actively practice proximity with Jesus. Not just believe that proximity is important, but practice it. We need to be proximity pickles. (laughs) Your pastor's got a problem. We are walking the way of the donkey kingdom. And it'll be hard sometimes. But one of the best tools that God has given us, aside from the obvious empowering presence of himself in the form of his spirit in us, is each other. We're doing this together. We can help each other out of the ditches when we fall off the kingdom way. And we can encourage each other when we see great fruit growing. We do this whole Christianity thing together. So how will you start practicing the words of Jesus? Take some time this week. Sunday on Monday we'll encourage you in this. Take some time this week. Look into his word and find something small that you can do to live the donkey kingdom way in the middle of a culture that is so counter to it. And God is with you every step of the way. As he says in Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. May we take heart in those words. Let's pray.